some... Hi, Heyman. How are you? Hi, Francine. Good. How is Thanksgiving? And, uh, Thanksgiving um, was wonderful. I had a vegan meal and stayed home and gave thanks that I was not out somewhere where I didn't like the people and would be forced to have negative conversations. Oh. Okay. <laughs> so it, it would be great. Oh, oh, good. Some really good people have come into the room. This is such, this is going to be, I hope, such an interesting room. Let me get Shireen up here. Unless she doesn't want to. And you moderated. And then let me set the stage. I'm setting the stage for a discussion of democracy and liberty. Oh. I thought I invited you, Shireen. There you go. <laughs> a different Shireen is on the stage. Thank you. <laughs> no worries. I I invited you, but in your green um, PTR, you couldn't come up. But in your red PTR, here you are. Or Shireen was yes. changing her PTR while she was getting the notification, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> Amen. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> okay, so this is a this is this is a very important conversation, and um, I don't care how many people are in the room, as long as the right people are in the room, and as long as the replays are on, and people can hear it, because the purpose of this room is to talk about liberty and democracy and how we're doing. I have some, you know, private um, feelings about these topics. I think that um, we have almost lost democracy during the last few elections. We are in danger of losing democracy again. And we are going to have to work really hard to reboot democracy if if that's what we want and and in order to reboot democracy um we are going to have to figure out why democracy was even an issue and why and, and to do that i've gone back to john stuart mill those of you who um, are not familiar with uh, John Stuart Mill. He and and Heyman, I sent you some. Uh, I sent you a cheat sheet. Yep. Uh, <laughs> because I am reading this essay called "On Liberty" by John Stuart Mill. It's in the public domain. You can get it on Amazon. I think it's free to read on Amazon. It's about fifty pages. Long, I mean, to listen to. It's about 50 uh, pages long, but it it discusses some issues we have totally forgotten to um, to consider and that we should be considering. And one of them is what is the purpose of government? What are we before we even get to? you know, Republicans and Democrats and Shireen, I got into I got into rereading on liberty and I was totally thinking about you and um and what has happened to black people in this country. Oops, I mean I was gonna mock I know I was going to moderate. I thought you were censoring yourself or something. <laughs> no, I'm I was going to moderate Rick and I and I muted myself. But the the whole thing is as I started to read on liberty, I I recalled that the purpose of government is is only to protect people and that 
if you go back to the beginning of the of the essay, it says that you know there's always a predator, and the purpose of government is to save the people from the predator. But it, there's a you know a, a degree to which the people can become the predator, and that's where government should be limited. And according to this, um, black people, or as they are referred to in On Liberty as Negroes, are, are considered worthy of protection in much the same way that children and old people and other people who could not defend themselves. Hi, Barbara. Hi, Andrea. Hello. Uh, could defend themselves from predators uh, are worthy of protection. And so then the question is, did I just kick Andrea out? What did I do? Yes. Man, I'm sorry, guys. I can't. Um, She's back. I can't. I know. I can't mod people. And don't worry, I'm, I'm doing it on the background. Okay, good. Because every time I try to mod somebody, I either mute them or mute the audience. Um, okay, so so I guess what the long and short of it is, and then I want to hear from the Canadians, and I want to hear from everybody else. Um, if the purpose of government is to protect human liberty, how are we doing at that? And how do we bring the purpose of government back to that if we're not doing well at it? And how do we embody liberty in our democracy? And I, I'm, I'm not only doing this in Karma Club, but I also started, as those of you who, who are on my friends know, uh, something called Karma House, where we're going to discuss this in a smaller, um, safer space and try to see if we can come up with some tactical and positive things to do that don't involve getting out the vote for the same crummy candidates, you know, during the next election, or um, who did I lose? I lost Rick. Get, getting out the vote for the same candidates in the next election, or fending off the inroads of uh, past candidates who would like to take another swipe at it, or, and I for this, I need you, Barbara, and you, Heyman. What is happening in other democracies? And is there anything we can learn, anything we can do, any any way we could improve? Because we have actually a 250-some-odd-year-old constitution, and it has many flaws. And it's been added to... And sometimes the additions have made it better, and sometimes the additions have made it worse. And we have a lot of laws built up around this Constitution, and and a lot of um, how am I going to say this? A lot of um, suppositions, you know, that were embodied in this in this Constitution. And short of rewriting it, which, you know, is a project that I think someone should take on, but it's probably not going to be taken on, you know, but, in my lifetime. But isn't Go ahead. the Constitution a living a document that's supposed to evolve? Uh, because remember how, like, you know, if you th take any sides, they'll have some grievance with the Constitution. And there's always for, I mean, there's always votes happening to amend the constitutions going forward. Uh, for instance, for one side may be against certain rights that may be imposed, uh, given on your constitution, and they try to change it. And likewise, vice versa. 
So it's a, and it's an, it's sort of a, uh, it's an ongoing conversation among the people on how to evolve going forward. Is it not? In theory. Yeah. I think I'm going to go with, is it not? Um, in theory, <laughs> it's, it's a living document. Yeah. Nothing's but perfect. In, no, in practice, it is not a living document. When was the last time the Constitution was amended? Um, I'm going to say, let's see, the Equal Rights Amendment did not make it through. And that was the first First Amendment that I was. Oh, CODA. <laughs> Hi, CODA. That was the First Amendment that, um, that, that I was aware of. Last and one was May 7th, 1992. Okay. It was the 27th, what, uh, 27th Amendment of the House of Representatives. Uh, it was Mich- I'll, I'll pull it up. Sorry, go ahead. Okay. But that's 30 years ago, and I, I don't even know what that was. But I know it wasn't the ERA because the ERA never did get into the Constitution. Yeah, it required any change to the rate of compensation for members of the U.S. Congress to take effect only after subsequent elections. So it was about them, basically, the, the, the people who... Seriously! <laughs> yeah. I'll Seriously! Put it up. I'll put it up. I'll put it up. Please put it up, because I had no idea. You know, I, I was a, a fully functioning voting adult, you know, and in 1997... And I was not even aware that that amendment to the Constitution happened. Which, what does that mean? It's changing the rate of Uh, I'm curious to know how many people were aware of that. Well, I don't know. Andrea, you're an activist. Greg, were you aware of that? I was in at the time so <laughs> you you were i think i was thinking other things oh yeah but you know it should be an event when the constitution is modified we should know more about it what was the one before it um, you... i will get back to you on that oh list of amendments go ahead please continue but i'll get back to you but there the point is and there hasn't been an amendment of substance. The last amendment of substance that I remember, not, not you know, amendments that yeah. are designed to pay Congress more. Well, the other but, one prior to that was this. It, uh, it was on the 26th Amendment, which happened, finalized on July 1st, 1971. It prohibits the denial of the right of U.S. citizens 18 years of age or older to vote on account of age. So there was, and also prior to that in 1967, there was a succession to the presidency, addresses the succession to the presidency and established procedures both for filling a vacancy in the office of the vice president and responding to president disabilities, basically. That's sort of if the president becomes incapacitated. Yeah, but these are tweaks. Yeah, exactly. These are all tweaks and they don't solve hard problems. No. Except they for really the voting, don't. I guess. Yeah, right. They, they allow 18-year-olds to vote. Right. I, I do remember that one. But what's really shocking is that I I paint myself as having been an activist all, all my life for freedom. And yet, I don't even know these last two amendments. And they, they basically were passed in the shade. But that takes away one of my major points, which is that we need to drag this process out into the light because the process was out into the light and I, you know, I didn't even see it. So I'm going to say that that either means that I was a bad citizen during my earning years, and that's probably true because I was an entrepreneur and I was very, very focused, but or that these um, and or that these amendments did not address things that I think, you know, that I thought needed to be addressed in our Constitution. And what would those be? 
Well, the first of them was, you know, equal rights. It was 1920. It was 1920 for women's right to vote. Yeah, but then there was an there was an ERA, and that was in the 80s or 90s, and it didn't pass. Yeah, and Frank has his hand up. Frank, hey, welcome. Oh, I'm 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 on stage already. I don't have. Um, oh, I'm not sure that is. A, sorry about that. <laughs> Glitch. But Dr. Francine, don't you think the um, don't you think the founders made it difficult to to make amendments on purpose? Oh, and by the way, I believe Alice Paul was the driving force b- behind the ERA, who was also the uh, driving force behind the Nineteenth Amendment. Okay, but I, I, okay, so it, yes, the. It wasn't supposed to be easy, but it was supposed to be possible to address major grievances in in the country. Like, like for instance, we somehow should be able to, and, and maybe, Greg, I'm wrong. I mean, I, I'm totally willing to say I'm wrong, that it, we used to be able to do a lot of things through the legislative process that we can't do now. But it, it seems to me that in a, in a, an era where we've had the internet, you know, and we, and everyone is living their life digitally and online, um, we, oh good, Royfield's gonna come. Royfield's in a different democracy. That's even better. Yeah, yep, I want Me, me too, by the way. <laughs> oh right, Frank. Sorry. Yes. All right. All right. People who are not from the United States, what needs to be quote fine tuned, fixed, or uh, updated in your own constitutions? How do we, in the twenty first century, um, keep keep the line between Liberty and government. Oh, thank you, Heyman. The line between um, liberty, uh, individual liberty, and the powers of government separate. Because just in the last few years, um, women have lost the rights to their own bodies. Um, the, the the black population has been repressed in their attempts to vote. You know, I mean, things are going backwards instead of forwards. You know, Dr. Francine, I just kind of verified what I was talking about before, and I think it's kind of a nice lesson because Alice Paul, who was, for those of, for for, for people who aren't familiar with the women's suffrage movement it in america it arose out of the abolition movement in the 19th century but then the kind of uh the baton was handed to alice paul um and that's when it really be when when the right to vote became the the main goal of it but i think it's interesting that you know she obviously she's the one who came up with the equal equal rights amendment but she also understood that, you know, you do things in stages. So she was obviously successful in getting the, 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 uh, the 19th Amendment through, but she continued fighting the rest of her life for the Equal Rights Amendment and for other legislation that empowered women. So anyway, she's a kind of a hero of mine. Oh, this is very cool. Yeah, I was just reading... Um... She won a major permanent success with the inclusion of women as a group protected against this discrimination by the Civil Rights Act of 1964. That's cool. Yeah, so she, it's, that's, and that's one of the arguments against the ERA, which I don't really subscribe to, but they're saying that women are protected 
by the 14th Amendment, the 15th Amendment, the um, civil rights legislation. But it is, you know, just for people. I mean, really, suppose you want an abortion. I mean, just right, saying. right. No, for sure. I 100 <laughs> percent agree with you. But I, I do think it's interesting because Alice Paul, who was every bit as skilled and dedicated and effective as Martin Luther King or Gandhi or uh, Nelson Mandela. I mean, she's right up there with. And, and in fact, she was the um, she was the author of a lot of the initial innovations of activism. Even even um, uh, Gandhi sort of based some of his stuff on her. And the things she did with Silent Sentinels, they were the first group to picket the White House. She should be like an American hero. But, you know, you who've, who've been, they were the first ones to march on Washington, which was an absolute failure. But it's, I think it's, it, it should be an issue that, you know, People don't know about her, and they should. I, I completely agree, and I'm not sure what I'm going to do about it, but first I'm going to read about it and familiarize myself with it. And I'm, I'm really in the process of flogging myself for previous previous ignorance because um, while I was marrying people and having children, Things were going on that I should have been far more aware of. But let's let's go around. Oh, I, I have another reason why you should wait, flog wait, yourself, wait, Dr. Wait. Francine. Wait, Shireen wants to talk. You can you can tell me how how to flog myself afterwards. Go ahead, Shireen. I, I need us to be very careful about the way we revise some of the history. Alice Paul comparing her to Martin Luther King when she actually participated in keeping black women off the line for the same rights to vote um, is always a challenge when I hear that. Like, we need to make sure that we're not completely whitewashing uh, historical storylines, right? You, you know, so, Shireen, I'm always glad you're in here because you, you are the person who can always point these things out because our history is written largely from the perspective of white people. And, and, and it's a lot of erasure um, of the harms that even the people that you classify as heroes doing to black and brown people in this country, right? So the argument I always get from most white women about Alice Paul was that she was singularly focused but if she was singularly focused on women, then that should have been inclusive of black women too. But it wasn't. And I want people to understand is that even though women got the right to vote, what was happening during the suffragist movement was that these were middle-class white women feeling that black men got the right to vote over them first. And that's what they were actually fighting about. And we know during 1920 that... Um, that uh, black people were dying trying to vote. So make sure that you understand, like when you look at the amendment when it finally got passed, we were still not give, granted the same privileges to vote at that particular time. And we didn't get those privileges until the Civil Rights um, Act, which is, which is literally 1964, which is you know basically 42 years later, right? There is, uh, I, I want us to tell these stories, but I want us to tell these stories and not not whitewash them. The, the key part about the 19th Amendment, though, I think is really, really important as we talk about like trying to get the ERA in place. One of the battles between the Civil Rights Act and the ERA was that, and I'll, I'll, I'll openly admit this because we had challenges in our own communities about including black women in the Civil Rights Act. There was debates about making sure the Civil Rights Act included women, and there were debates in the ERA, including black women. And so we have, this country has not dealt with that level of division politically and also in policy in the way that actually moves us forward. 
And that's the difficulty that most people don't realize in that division. If you read through both the ERA, because there's some new things that have been added to people, to what people want the ERA to say. Um, some of that has gone around, including race and sexuality and gender identity, that, you know, we can have that separate conversation. I don't think that's worth having here. But the, but, but the, but the other argument was literally um, having the fight between these two groups trying to get their act pushed, removing the other groups from being a part of the movement. And that is a thing that we've been doing. And if I had an opinion about what we can do about the Constitution or how we try to move these things forward, we need to stop doing that. And we're still doing that. Thanks. Uh Oh, so what we're doing is internally dividing ourselves. Greg, did you want yeah, to answer that? I, I think I... Yeah, I think Shireen's right. I think we shouldn't whitewash, but I think we also shouldn't oversimplify. I mean, she's she's absolutely right that there were some issues uh, all along, especially with the 1913 procession and the segregation of the black women who were were involved. But I think we also need to put things in I mean, this was a constant debate and something not only Alice Paul, but all of the women who uh, who were involved in 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 that struggle, starting from the late 19th century. And Shireen's right. There was some misgivings because pretty much all of the the early women activists were abolitionists and the women's movement of the 19th century arose out of the abolition movement. In the 1920s, there was a lot of discussion. We all remember what kind of time the 1920s was about how front and center the black women activists, many of whom were working with the white women activists, and how visible they should be. And you can just only imagine how the people, how they struggled with that. And, and, and I 100% agree with Shireen that, you know, those shortcomings should be 100% part of any discussion of Alice Paul and, um, and, and the movement. And I have to say, pretty much all of the historical books and documents I've read about the, that document, uh, about that movement, certainly included that issue, but those were difficult, complex issues as well. Okay, I want to hear just from really some... quickly, I'm sorry, Dr. Francine, I, I'm not going to counter anything that um, Greg said, but I will want, to, I just need us to understand and listen to what I'm going to say. They weren't just working with those white women, they were working for those white women. And the power dynamics of that time is the pain points that we still aren't speaking about. Thanks. Okay, so that that was an interesting metaphor working for for white women. But no, it's not a metaphor. They were their housekeepers. No, I know that's what I meant. I'm sorry, I put it wrong. I I I under I understood that, but I want to hear from the people from other democracies. Like I want to hear from Frank, I want to hear from Heyman or Royfield or have you handled these issues? Have you handled these issues differently? Does it work better? What's what's the story? I'll I'll try and be super brief because I could be long winded at at the best of times on this app. Um, In Britain, we classically say that we don't have a constitution. There is no founding point where somebody said, let's have England, let's have Scotland, let's write down the rules. That that never happened. Battle of Hastings? No, that was when the, the Normans came over and got rid of the Anglo-Saxon um, aristocracy and gave us words like uh, beef and l- lingerie and all, all the fancy words in the English language and uh, you know so but th- but th- that's not a foundational point of the kingdom of, of England so we don't have the same historical um, reverence to our rules of how this country um, is governed in the way that you do because there's no founding point um, and what we have is precedent 
and convention and some rules. So there is no guiding, guiding principle of what it is to be English or an Englishman or an Englishwoman or, or to be British. And that gives us massive flexibility. And I just contrast that with something which you said, which is the reason why I raised my hand and, and came up, uh, Dr. Francine. Um, there was a conversation and then uh, and then Greg kind of countered you by saying, but the founders deliberately made it hard so you couldn't change the Constitution. Thomas Jefferson, in his writings, uh, post being president, opined many at many points about the fact that every 20 years there should be a new constitution for the united states and and and, and i'll just just leave with that so in in england there are no principles about freedom per se uh, and and what it means uh, and the line between individual liberty and the government we just kind of go oh, and and eat and the pendulum from I know it's British. Sorry, wasn't Mill British? Mill, John Stuart Mill. Oh yeah, English. Yeah, a- a- absolutely, absolutely. But these things are not enshrined <laughs> in our in our in our constitution or in in our in our documents. They're just kind of not right. And, and the Magna Carta has more reverence in the united states and it does in the in the uk in england you know people do not bring up the magna carta which de- delineates the the uh, the rights and the privileges of the king over the aristocracy as something which then we derive british freedoms from it, it's just not talked about and i will switch on uh, an american discussion about the constitution and the magna carta invariably is kind of brought up at some point uh, as this uh, document which uh, gives freedoms uh, from, from the state so uh we're all over the place we don't really care we suck it and see each generation kind of slightly does their own thing with the precedence of the past. That's the way <laughs> England is governed. <laughs> that is hilarious. <laughs> Heyman and Barbara, any want to weigh in on Canada? What's Canada's solution to this problem? I, I, I just quickly want to share, I apologize for the link pinned above. The Financial Times has an article that's just come out, which I can't get to. I guess my subscription ran out, which says reforming democracy could be the next Brexit in the UK. So I do think they are talking about it now. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I I can't get into the article, but I feel we should circle back on that. All right. there's Tyler Crowley has something he calls a paywall jumper. I don't know what that is, but I'd sure like to have that every once in a while. Archive.ph. <laughs> Archive.ph? Yep. Wow. All right. Try it, Heyman. See if uh, it'll get us. I'm working into on it. The... Let me just see if I can pull it up for you guys. <laughs> in the meantime, um, Frank? Right, so um, Greg is not here anymore, but the case of Germany, of course, is a granted oversimplification. It was it would take us a whole seminar to discuss this, right? So, but of course, because of the history of Germany, uh, the constitution of the uh, Federal Republic of Germany had quite some um, applications uh, to to its uh, constitution. Um, so the democracy in Germany is now called or considered to be, you know, a well fortified democracy or a battle ready democracy. That so that is something that has been um, done with the help of the United Kingdom and uh, France and the United States, and of course in in, in comp- competition to the other Eastern German um, uh, version that later on was founded with the help of the Soviet Union. So Iron Curtain was going right through Germany right there. So but um, so I will read this from um, the Wikipedia 
just a small paragraph, several articles of the German constitution allow a range of different measures to defend the liberal democratic order. And so there's an article that allows for social groups to be labeled hostile to the constitution and to be proscribed by the federal government. Political parties can be labeled enemies to the constitution only by the federal constitutional court, according to another article of this constitution. Then there's another um, article that, according to that article, this this um, uh, federal constitutional court can restrict the basic rights of people who fight against the um, constitutional order. So and that is living things as of 2018 that has um, never happened. So that is written here in the in this article. So as of 2022, 20, uh, that has never happened in the history of the Federal Republic. Um, then the, the federal and state bureaucracies can exclude people deemed hostile to the Constitution from the civil service according to Article 33. So um, the so something you, you can't work in certain areas if, if you consider that. Every civil serv servant um, um, is sworn to defend the Constitution and the constitutional order. And according to another article, this is the last paragraph here, uh, every German citizen has the right to resistance against anyone who wants to abolish the constitutional order as a last resort. And that is, uh, you know, um, we have to consider this, this, uh, this other paragraph here. Joseph Goebbels, so he was, you know, the, the man behind this whole, uh, well, this whole party of the Nazis, when he, when he, when he said, when democracy, so this, I'm quoting here him, right? So I'm quoting a Nazi here, just to, but we have to be clear about what we're talking about here. So uh, when democracy granted democratic methods for us in the times of opposition, this was bound to happen in a democratic system. However, we national socialists, and this is a quote, uh, never asserted that we represented a democratic point of view, but we have declared openly that we use democratic methods only in order to gain the power and that after assuming the power, we would deny to uh, our adversaries without any consideration the means which uh, were granted to us in the times of opposition. And uh, I, I really think this historical lesson is something um, that uh, every country has to consider, and none of the other countries has, has this uh, opportunity to make a constitution with the help of other democracies like uh, the Federal Republic of Germany had. So I, I think everybody, and I'm, I'm not... Um, I'm not making a reference here to anybody um, in particular. Um, we could do some, you know, academic exercises and make some comparisons and what have you. But, um, you know, you have to uh, take this historical lesson and apply it somewhere. Well, if nothing else, this is the, the newest, you know, of the Western constitutions. Because this can't, maybe I'm wrong about that too, <laughs> but it, it seems that way to me. Um, Barbara, any thoughts? Barbara has no thoughts. She's being a nice person and being here on the stage and multitasking. <laughs> oh, she's on the phone. <laughs> okay. Jean Pierre. Hello. How's that Hello. Going? You're always a wise voice. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I've just been listening. Um, We're trying to figure out how, or I'm trying to figure out, and with a little help from my friends, how to fix this thing, you know, <laughs> that we call democracy. And I really uh, was was set off on this journey by um, by Roger, who said, who referred to On Liberty by John Stuart Mill. And of course, I hadn't read On Liberty on since graduate school. And I thought, oh, On Liberty. Well, that sounds like it's very relevant. I think I better go back and read it. And I went back and read it, and sure enough, it is very relevant. And so I was um, I was trying to figure out, 
it, what it says, basically, and it is free on Audible, and it's in the public domain um, on, on the web. You can look it up. But basically, we, we have allowed government to creep into aspects of our lives that it maybe wasn't ever supposed to be in. And I don't know that it's done us any good. I mean, no, go ahead, Jean-Pierre. Well, first of all, in terms of democracy and how we preserve it, I think that we took a great first step by preventing governor after governor, secretary of state after secretary of state, attorney general after attorney general role from going to election liars, fascists, right? All across this country in the competitive swing states. So I do want to give kudos to all the voters in places like Arizona, in your home state, where you essentially had a democratic sweep from top to bottom. Um, kudos to the people who- I'm so proud of us. Oh, absolutely. Because, you know, Carrie Lake <laughs> was one of those people who would say to the media, you are a bunch of bastards and I'm going to be your worst nightmare for eight years. So crisis averted, right? She's not getting four years, let alone eight years. But she's continuing to audition to be Trump's VP. That's her only concern. And so she's continually pushing the idea that this election was rigged against her um, when Katie Hobbs whipped her um, quite um mightily in that race. But I, so I think that that was step one, preventing this country from going full blown banana Republic by having people who were willing like Doug Mastriano in my state, Pennsylvania, willing to overturn elections. So crisis averted temporarily, at least. Um, but see, that's the emergency. And yeah. what we do is we, we careen from emergency to emergency. Sure. Well, I think that well, okay. this runoff in Georgia is another step so that that was going to be my part two, because having a 50-50 Senate, while I must say Biden-Harris administration, incredibly effective with this 50-50 Senate that they've had, I think more so than anyone expected. Newt Gingrich just came out today and warned Republicans and said, listen, I know you guys want to reflexively you know, dump on Joe Biden. But if you don't recognize his effectiveness, if you don't recognize that he just had a historic midterm like we've never seen for a first term uh, Democrat, if you don't recognize that, you're in big trouble. He's been very effective. Not that I take Newt Gingrich at his word, but I think with that, he, he rings true on his statement. And so the next step would be to get to 51, because when you're 51, that is actually quite a game changer in terms of how you uh, determine the balance of power between the Republicans and the Democrats, you no longer have to do that. You have an outright majority and you don't have to rely also on our vice president, Kamala Harris, for those tie-breaking votes. So she will now be freed up to do other things. She doesn't have to be there in Washington all the time. And so if we get this 51st vote, I think all of a sudden, Joe Manchin is kneecapped and we're going to be, Joe Manchin or cinema, depending on the subject matter, they kind of go back and forth as being, you know, a big blockade on things. In terms of cinema, she's really adamant about that filibuster. When you listen to her argument about the filibuster, it's completely nonsensical. It's completely ahistorical. But with that 51st vote, she'll no longer be a factor. And so I think the next step is to continue to work in this lame duck, if we can, on that John Lewis Voting Rights Act and other things. And, you know, you just saw a bill passed with uh, marriage equality. And so I still have hope for what can be done between now and the next session. Uh, so that's step two. I, I think voting rights Francine, Yeah, the Voting Rights Act. I think one thing I'm observing though is based on our conversation last night and previous conversations and Jean-Pierre's comments, it's like building a plane while you're f flying it or, you know, repairing the plane while it is flying. And, oh, by the way, it's flying low and it might hit this mountain yeah. and we have to fix it uh, quickly. And so and we need to educate a lot of people about what's going on 
uh, in terms of, you know, uh, trying to over, maybe subvert the will of the people by uh, through the independent state legislature theory and, and all of that. So there are I mean, the reality is there's two separate strands and they're not unrelated, but there are strands of multiple strands of work at the same time, which don't necessarily, you know, it's the long term, the constant work of how do you build towards a, a multiracial, inclusive democracy where we get to a greater place of equality. Uh, and then, you know, in the short term, and by the way, frankly, do do does you know do most of the do most people in the country actually agree to that? Which, you know, obviously we th- we think or some of us think that they should, but you know, maybe they don't, uh, as evidenced by the Voting Rights Act. So I'm just saying. My point is, I'm hearing there's two strands of work: uh, longer term reform oh. and short term emergencies. Well, short term emergency is the Voting Rights Act because. If that is in any way still on the table, which I didn't know on, you know, until this morning. I, I'm also wondering, like, how much are you guys politicizing? This is like, honestly, U.S. from a Canadian standpoint, from a Heyman, this is Heyman. Um, so you guys are too politicizing everything. Like, everything doesn't have to be, uh, like, even in the Constitution, I don't think your Constitution needs to be changed dramatically, but I think it has to be cleaned up or at least the legal, I mean, lawyers actually interpret it, right? Even your Supreme Court interprets the Constitution. Uh, the Bible, for instance, I mean, any religious book can be interpreted anywhere you want, uh, depending on what your values are. Um, so I'm just wondering, like, I think, like, this tug of war, this plane, the 51, 50, or 49, it, it doesn't make sense in the long term. You're not, I don't think you're going anywhere, right? If you're going back and forth, tug of war. <laughs> Like it's like a plane. Like you go in one direction, then you fly back the same other direction, and like when you can run out of gas and crash. I mean, at this rate, I think that's a very good point, Heyman. It's an awesome point. It is an absolutely awesome point, and and, and that's why I wanted people from other countries because it, it is totally crazy, you know. But we don't see it because we're. It's the water we swim in, you know. It, it's just like... I mean, even the voting rights, if you think about it, everyone should have the right to vote, period. I mean, there, I mean, the Constitution says that per se. I'm not the expert on your Constitution, but even... Oh, if you look at, at the Amendment 13, then you could actually wonder why you actually have a prison population problem. Like, uh, Amendment 13 is the one that abolished slavery, but it actually said slavery is fine when it's in- incarcerated. So there's a problem there, right? So again, like I think it's just those small things without getting into the like the finer details. Uh, just like, you know, if it's equal rights for everyone, regardless of sex, it should also be just change it to gender. So everyone has the same right, period, done. You don't have to uh, like you don't have to tell every single variation of gender or everything else. It's like let the courts you know, uh, that's what they're meant to do. Have that argument if as needed. Yeah, I as think that that's say, the idea. I, think, I, I actually think that, I'm sorry. No, I think, Shireen, we're maybe going to say the same thing, so I'm going to be quiet. Go ahead, Shireen. Uh, just just really quickly, it's very important of that peace payment because that slave labor, I what just happened in a couple of states in, in elections, some states removed that from their state mm-hmm. constitutions, right? Not all states have removed that, but it's still in the 13th Amendment, which is which is the 13th yeah. Amendment of the Constitution, right? That carve-out and that caveat is still allowing the option to use Black bodies for profit. Mm-hmm. And that, could, that, that includes the possibility of doing that because of, of putting them in jail, even without conviction. Like, the 13th Amendment says conviction. 70% of people in jail right now have never seen a trial. Mm. Bail issue. Not only yeah. bail issue, but other issues. There's most, it's bail is one. There's other issues. Yeah. But, but there are states that have admitted, including Arizona, Dr. Francine. Uh, I have a son in prison. I am well aware. But go ahead. Maybe I'm not. I said I was, but... But including Arizona, 
who knows that they're using slave labor in the prisons for government services, which is oh, yeah. actually that, antithetical to the thir- what, what, what should be the 13th Amendment. Yes, and my son is one of those slave laborers. He makes, you know, like 250 an hour or something like that. And um, yeah, exactly. And the head of the Department of Corrections said, I think just this year, we would collapse without this prison labor because it creates an income stream for the Department of Corrections. But not an income stream for them, the individuals. And that's the part that I'm trying to make sure that people are hearing and understand. We are still okay with certain forms of the system because we get to say, well, those human lives are not as equitable or equal or as valuable as ours. Despite the fact that they have not even had trial to determine if they actually were criminals right. or not <clears throat> well my son was a drug addict so but 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 i'm also still saying there's no evidence for any of that if you don't go through trial mm-hmm. nope i agree I, I completely right? agree but it's still a perceived um uh dehumanization just because a cop arrests you and the funny part is that under the constitution aren't you allowed to aren't you supposed to have a trial oh um, let's Unless you agree to a plea bargain, uh-huh. yes. Right. No, but nobody agrees to plea bargains. Right. So, well, yeah. hold on a second. Yeah. Hold on a second. When people do that, it's very dismissive, Steve. So, plea bargains are when they are basically saying, you have no um, lawyers to protect you to make sure that your case is being taken care of. So, plea bargain and agree that you are actually guilty even when you're not. Or if it's a federal trial, a friend of mine is in a situation now where the trial, the, the uh, case has gone on for five years. Everyone has paid millions of dollars in legal fees and the federal government is continuing to drag the proceedings out to the point where everyone will be broke and then they can force them to plea bargain which is really what they did, you know, what they did with my son. Yeah, let's not get into the carceral state because I hate the right now. Well, I I don't hate anything. I'm I'm a karma goddess. I'm I'm nice. You got to let it out, Francine. But if there's there's something that I am disappointed in, it is the justice system. System. And yeah, it's a manipulative yeah. justice system, and and the you're manip- absolutely right, Doctor Francine. And I and oh. I'm, 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 it's unfortunate your your family has had to go through that. Yet it is a repeated part of the the way that the system works. I, well, I think we need to clarify, though, right? It's it's not the it's let- not the books that are wrong. It's the the it's the people who benefit from the books of how to manipulate right. the rules, right? It, that system right. lives on these uh, cases because they get paid. And quicker charges or appeals, uh, they yes, still get a conviction. Yes, it clears out and all, all the stuff. court yeah. cases, yeah. and they get to say we won. Um, there's th- three people in the bottom row who have not spoken, and we're getting to the time in the room where I want to hear from them. Uncle Steve, are you uh, wanting uh, to say I, something I, else? I just wanted a, a quick clarification, and I'll defer the rest of my time to other. Uh, people. Yes, absolutely no question. The justice system is not perfect. There's a lot of things wrong with it, but there also are documented examples of defendants who have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on defense that plea bargain. So just because you plea bargain does not mean you were not represented by competent counsel. But Shireen is correct. A lot of defendants who plea bargain do not have competent counsel. And I defer the rest of my time. Thank you. <laughs> uh, reclaiming my time, Chris or Mike, want to uh, contribute before Mike? Chris? Oh, hi, Chris. Yeah. Hi. Yeah, I just wanted to say something because it's in the news uh, that the President Biden intervening in the railroad workers' strike is an example of 
uh, our lack of labor rights uh, compared to other uh, democracies. And it goes back to the, you know, the founding of the country and the Commerce Clause, which said that the Congress can, uh, has the power to regulate interstate commerce, which they've used to uh, keep workers from striking throughout history. And this is about freedom of association and freedom to form unions. And that's a part of the Bill of Rights, the first uh, amendment. And so then you had another. Freedom uh, of association is is in on liberty. It, as one of the individual freedoms. Yeah, exactly. And the, the, the you know, these right to work laws that are throughout the country, those are infringing on people's freedom of association. And I don't understand how they uh, get around that. But that goes back to the, you know, the the Great Depression. FDR introduced the National Labor Relations Act that formalized the, the right to strike. Um, but then after the or at the end of the war, there were a lot of strikes in 1945 and 46. And Taft-Hartley was introduced, which uh, seems to like basically cancel out the National, Relation, National Labor Relations Act, it keeps uh, unions from engaging in like certain kind of strikes. And then also um, allowed all these states to enable these these right to work laws, which, like I said, were um, seem to violate people's uh, freedom of association. If you look at the map of all the states that have right to work laws, it's basically the entire South, most of the Great Plains, a lot of the Arizona. Yeah, exactly. And even some of the upper Midwest states have recently added it. So I just think like economic rights and labor rights um, don't get as much attention as they deserve. And whichever, you know, the Democrats have traditionally been the party that supports workers. It's slipped in the last few decades. And Seems like <laughs> and this morning it slipped big time, right? Yeah, it seemed like it was heading in the right direction lately, but this latest thing with Biden and the Democrats, they it's it's really disappointing that they won't help these railroad workers get sick paid sick days. They don't have any paid sick days. It's it's crazy. Thank you. I'm done speaking. This is Chris. Well, I, I, I would go ahead, John Pierre. No, you go ahead. I'll go after you. I was going to say we um, have replaced in God we trust with it's the economy stupid in, in our <laughs> in our our uh, political philosophy. Okay, um, this has been. Oh, go ahead, Jean Pierre. I was just going to say something quick because I, I definitely hear what people are saying about this um, rail strike and you know the administration pushing for Congress to ratify the deal. But I think we have to look at that within a context. We have to look at it within a context that the Republican Party voted almost unanimously against sick leave for these workers, specifically. The Republican Party has voted over and over again against the rights of workers. And this deal that Biden is asking Congress to ratify is to actually avert a huge economic crisis. <laughs> and so we can't really take this one thing in an isolated way and say that Biden-Harris isn't pro-union. Because when you're talking about losing $2 billion a day from the economy, slowing the supply chain, when we're already, you know, technically in a recession, although they're not saying it's a recession, some of the numbers did say so. It's bouncing back a little bit now. But this idea that we take this in an isolated way ignores some of the context around what's really going on and the divergence between these two parties on the rights of workers. Just take a look at the record. Take a look at the report card and the votes that Republicans take versus Democrats. I think that obviously these real workers deserve more. But this specific thing is to avert a crisis as they continue working to get the uh, benefits that they want. All right. That I'm going to I'm going to call a halt to this week, but next week I I have been um sort of reminded to take a look at the justice system. Um so I think next week's room will be on the justice system. 
um, not just in America, but in democracies in general, and what justice really means. I mean, I feel like I'm teaching a seminar in political science, for remedial political science, for people who haven't thought about it in forever. And I'm getting the best education. So the usual thanks and gratitude to all of you who come and share your time in this room because I love you. You are wonderful and you're very, very good to me to discuss these things and bring all these points of view with you into the room. And I cannot tell you how much I enjoy it and how grateful I am. So, and, and also yeah. have to give a shout out to all the, those in the chat as oh. well and uh, those on call in as well who joined us. And there's a lot in the chat that has been going on, including uh, there was a discussion about the paywalls uh, when um, uh, there was a discussion. Uh, stealing or uh, anti-journalism. Right. Uh, there's also discussion uh, from our. That's European another friends. interesting. Yeah. That's another interesting question. And uh, our friends in Europe uh, basically said, uh, Marcus uh, basically said, U.S. is the best democracy you could buy. Well, that's, yeah, it's up to there. Uh, um, and also, there's a lot of other discussions. So please join in in there as well. So thank you all for participating in that discussion. Yeah. yeah uh, you know, uh, I I've didn't I haven't said anything yet, but just wanted to say that one of the the things that that I, takeaways that I'm getting from today is how can we make it better? And I think part of that discussion is how do we get to the whole truth, and not just our individual uh, experience of the truth? Because I think that's one of the biggest problems we have is is uh, we all consider our truth to be the whole truth. The blind man and the elephant. Right. Yeah, and we, you know, learning. I mean, I know that people are triggered by the the term being educated. Um, but the more I'm on the app, the more I realize how uneducated I am. Oh, that's that exactly I, how I feel. And that I do need to be educated. And... Nobody should be offended by somebody saying, hey, more education is a good thing. But also action. How do you make this stuff all actionable? Talking is I know, one that's thing. what Andrea is, Andrea is concerned about. But here's what I believe. I, and, and I fully believe that we all need to learn to live together and then take that out into the world. And that that kind of will be the action, you know. It's it's like each one reach one, and I don't think these discussions are a waste of time so much as each one sheds further light on subjects that we may not all have been thinking about. And if we keep on over a long enough period of time, we'll really have a civics class that will have prepared us to live in and promote democracy. Or at least that's how I like to see it, but I'm an optimist. <laughs> Dr. Francine, oh, that's the first time you called yourself an optimist. <laughs> I, I, um, I wanted to say two quick things. One is uh, yes to the action, Heyman, uh, to uh, Rick, to the education. I think that I personally agree with you, but just having had a lot of experience not just on this app but in the real world it's we can say that people shouldn't take offense too but i think we'll be better placed and maybe more successful if we if it rick and i are friends so i'm saying this as a differing view that people are part of the deal is to to understand or at least not condone but understand where people are coming in from uh what what point they're coming in from. So what I mean is, so some people are going to take some people and we've seen it. Some people do take offense to being told they have to learn something. So what's a tactic to, you know, get through that. And then finally I spent the evening on a call, a zoom call about how communities uh, of difference can come together 
and um, collaborate and move forward. So I'll have more on that later. Oh, yeah. I want the talking points on that. Okay, everybody, once again, love you all. Come back next week, and we will talk about the justice system. And that'll be really interesting because I have such awful, well, never mind. I'll save it for next week. Thanks again. Take care, all. Thanks for joining.